Welcome to the Beauty Scientists with Dr. Christy Hamilton and Dr. Roy Kim. Real beauty without the hype. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Christy Hamilton, board-certified plastic surgeon, here with... Hi, I'm Dr. Roy Kim, another board-certified plastic surgeon, with another episode of The Beauty Scientist. And we are very excited to be here and talking about great things today, which is the future. What's coming in 2024? Happy New Year. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year, Christy. I have not seen you since the New Year started, so I trust you're doing great. I am, and I'm always excited for new beginnings, January, what's on the horizon. And, you know, everyone's always talking about the gym and exercise and good habits, and that's important. But you and I love discussing beauty and aesthetic and everything else we can do to augment those gym results. So here we go. Yes, absolutely. So first off, one of the new topics that you and I know about is SkinVive, which is an HA filler made by Allergan that actually is injected mainly into the cheek, although outside of the U.S. is actually injected all over the face and even the neck. Yes. And have you tried so, it? I have tried it once. It does work. It does not seem to be like game ch as game-changing as I thought. I think it's because it's only HA filler and it's not Botox or neurotoxin with HA filler. So in my practice, I do a cocktail to micro-infuse the skin. I believe you do as well. Um, and we incorporate neuromodulators like Botox or Dysport, inject injectable-grade hyaluronic acid. And then we can customize it to the patient's skin, um, growth factors, pigment correctors, um, vitamin C, anti-free radical agents and antioxidants. And I find by infusing with the micro channels as opposed to needles, we go over the entire surface of the skin and we get it into the skin itself as opposed to injecting with the needle on the grid pattern mm. with skin weave. You know, I have, I forgot to tell you, the needles that come with the packaging are okay, but they tend to get dull. Um, there's a couple products from overseas. I have some needles from Korea. I should send you some. They are super sharp. So specifically, they're made to Japanese, Korean, German stainless steel standards. They stay sharp. So they're not as painful. And they're actually the correct depth. They come actually in different lengths, different depths to deliver it to the skin. That. I think makes a lot of sense. It's something when I was talking with the company, I mentioned maybe they need to consider how the product's being delivered just as much as the product itself. Right. So the product, you know, has to be fresh, of course, but the product has to be delivered to the proper depth, which I think sometimes is hard to do with regular needles and regular syringes. To be honest, I don't think it's the syringe. I think it's the needle and the consistent needle depth and how deep it is. That makes sense. So for the viewers, what do you think, what are the benefits of SkinVive and products like it around the world? Um, around the world, the big thing is what's happening in the U.S. It's the combination of neurotoxins and HA fillers, as well as the growth factors. Um, in the U.S., it's very difficult to get two prescription medications 
into one actual pill. That's just what the FDA has deemed impossible for the most part. And so that's why it's been hard aesthetically. But I do think that we can do it or we can certainly do it in the office just like you're doing. Yeah. So the off-label mixing, uh, I I think I agree with you. I think it's a superior product. And one of the reasons that they rebranded or repackaged this product, which is hyaluronic acid, so it is like a filler, but they rebranded it as a skin booster because it's not for sculpting the face. It's not for changing the bone structure or folds or hollows. It's really for direct infusion into the skin because we all know, you know, you do beautiful filler work. I like to think I do too. Um, So for our patients, fillers are a good thing, but there's a lot of patients that have had bad experiences with fillers, pillow face, et cetera. And so by repositioning it as a skin booster, it's an interesting way to reintroduce hyaluronic acid to patients. Totally agree with you. And it's, I, I mean, multiple papers have shown like it increases your skin quality, the skin texture, it makes your pores smaller. So that's what's cool about this combination treatment. And I'm glad that you're doing it, although it sounds like you're doing what I'm doing. We're like combining it with other things. We're not just using it on its own. Yes. And I use uh, the concept of of glass skin, Korean glass skin as the model for it, just having just that beautifully hydrated, so smooth, pores so small, it just reflects light. And I think the combination of a couple of those ingredients together leads that result. Yeah, that's my goal. That's my goal this year to get glass skin, no matter what. (laughs) Me too. I'm having this (laughs) baby and then I'm going to be lasered and Botoxed and and (laughs) hydrated from within. It's going to be a beautiful thing. (laughs) Good. Well, you're glowing anyway, so I'm sure the baby helps. Thank you. (laughs) So they say. (laughs) So next up is talking about Ozempic, some glutide and the long-term ramifications, because I know that you prescribe it mm-hmm. and I know that you follow patients with it. And I'm sure that the patients are very happy in theory. And this is according to the FDA. Once you're on it, like you're off of it, like you're on it for a short period of time and you maintain your body and your lifestyle and your exercise treatment program. Knowing human behavior, I tend to think that these patients are going to need it like once every three or six months forever. And some of the studies have pointed to that, and it's part of my counseling for patients, I'm sure it is with yours, is that you can't expect the medication to do all the work. I mean, it's as close to a silver bullet as we have right now, but the reality is is that you can't go back to poor uh, lifestyle habits, poor eating, no exercise, and then expect your BMI or weight to stay the same. So I tell patients, this needs to be a tool. You still need to be doing um, lifting, resistance exercises, maintaining your muscle mass, and then using the medication really more to encourage smaller portions, just portion control. And that's when patients are more effective. But if you are just eating chips for your small meal a day, then you're not going to see the same results. I think you can have a 4,000 a day, I'm sorry, 4,000 calorie a day diet and then just stay on this forever, right? Yeah. 
that's not my intention with my patients. I'm definitely prescribing for the short term. Um, but I think we'll see people that are just on this medication for years, like you said, maybe forever. Um, in the meantime, though, it's definitely impacting our surgical practices. What have you seen? You know, interestingly, I haven't seen that much. I think it's because in California, maybe people are already started to be, they're not that overweight, maybe. And so this definitely helps. I have not seen that many patients who are, who have lost um, 50, 75 pounds and have morbid obesity, loose skin yet. I have seen some patients with like moderate to minor loose skin. It's coming. And then in my practice, it's not even necessarily massive weight loss on that scale. Um, for some patients, they wanted to lose that final 15, 20 pounds, and they finally did it. And they hit their BMI goal to be ideal for uh-huh. surgery, and now they're ready. Well, that's good. I mean, we'll, we could talk about this more with another episode because it's so huge. It's just, it depends on your face your skin laxity, your age, it depends on your body, it depends on a lot of factors. But 15 to 20 pounds in some people may not be noticeable. And 15 to 20 pounds in other people may be very noticeable. Very noticeable. So I'm predicting for 2024 for the face, more fat transfer, more facelifts in Mm. patients that have lost a lot of weight. They may be on the younger side to tighten everything up over the weight loss. And then I also expect more body contouring in the form of surgical body contouring in the form of tummy tucks, arm lifts, thigh lifts as patients do continue to lose more significant amount of weight. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I definitely think that facelift will increase because patients will notice a lot of loose skin. And the less invasive, non-invasive things that we know slightly tighten skin as plastic surgeons, but they don't tighten it that much. So, hey, if patients can live with that, that's great. But if patients can't live with that, they'll be maybe concerned about their appearance. And specifically, one topic I wanted to talk about is RF microneedling. Um, the, there are a lot of not great studies or not great technologies that claim to tighten skin a lot. And honestly, it can improve skin quality, it can improve skin texture and thickness, but to tighten skin a lot, like if you have jowling or loose neck skin, I'm not aware of anything non-surgical that's actually going to correct that. And I'm not going to name any products because I think all the laser companies, the microneedling companies, uh, other companies, it will tighten skin a little, but not certain if it's going to reverse losing 15, 25 pounds on Ozempic or you know, God forbid you lose 50 to 75 pounds, something of that nature. Absolutely. I agree with that. I think fractionated CO2 laser yields the most non-surgical tightening, but again, it's conservative. I'm always telling patients, this is not a surgical equivalent at all. Um, but it definitely improves your skin, skin quality. We may even use it in conjunction with your surgery so that we have healthier, more glowing skin, less scrapiness, thinness that we get with time. Um, but some of these more lunchtime procedures, um, I think they are 
wildly oversold to patients in terms of how much tightening they'll get with no pain, no downtime, minimal recovery. If it sounds too good to be true, and, it is. And, <laughs> and I noticed on social media, congratulations on getting a new laser. Thank you. And, I love it. And it's the fractionated CO2? It is. Uh -huh. And that's a workhorse laser in my practice because it works so well. I use it in conjunction with facelift surgery. And then I think it's really great for the so-called gap patients, patients that they're starting to notice some looseness. They notice some dullness to their skin and large pores, some pigment. They want to address all of these things, but they're clearly not a surgical candidate. Right. So this is a great way to maintain that. And that degree of tightening can be just right for someone that's just showing the earliest signs of aging. Totally makes sense. And then that leads us into our next segment. You know, we, I, I, wrote, I uh, read an article in Wall Street Journal on Daxify. It actually had a, I created a YouTube reaction video about it. And Daxify as a company is not doing that great, despite having a pretty good product. It doesn't seem to consistently last six months in all areas of face. And I was, you know, I use it, but their original pricing plan doesn't seem to be working out. So they've reduced the price. What are your thoughts on it? So rewinding, because it was funny watching our little clips of our original podcast on Daxify um, and seeing what we thought then and then comparing it to what we think now. So Daxify, for the listeners who don't know, it is a, in the same class as Botox and Dysport. But it was presented to us as a neuromodulator that would last closer to six months, whereas Botox and Dysport are more three to four months. And the thing is, it took us it took us five or six months to find out. <laughs> so I I this time last year injected myself, um, and I will say I it did not last six months for me. I think it lasted longer than Botox, but I don't think it justified the 70% premium in price. Yeah. What did you, what do you think? I mean, for me, it only lasted four and a half to five months, not six. And again, I'm getting it at probably discounted price compared to a re regular consumer. And I just wasn't ecstatic. And Revance has definitely lowered the price of this product in the past couple of months nationally, I think. And we'll see if it can, you know, have a bigger stronghold. It'll be interesting to come back from the initial marketing because I, I think you with any product launch, if anything, you want it to perform better than you're telling us. And I think that was an interesting strategy. I'm sure they thought it did last that long, but I think it's really hard to resurrect something um, and say, oh, this is something that works a little bit better than Botox and maybe price it the same versus um, charging the premium that they did. And for me, what it came down to is of the patients that I, that tried it with me and they knew this was a new product. I've only had one want it again. Wow. Wow. So I'm bearish on Daxify. Mm. Um, good to know because I, I have not injected that many patients and no one really wants it now that they've lowered the price. I have a couple trickling in who want it, but it's just, 
how do you say it? It's I don't really blame Revance. I think this is what happened with Juveau. And what happens is to the people watching this, the FDA studies are real. It really does last 24 weeks or six months in the FDA specified areas right here between the eyebrows. I think the problem is, is that even though they had a good study and it's statistically significant, they didn't inject 10,000 people or 100,000 people or hundreds of thousands of injections. And they can't. That's literally impossible. They're just checking for safety. So when you inject it that much, that often in all types of patients, you can't predict what's going to happen. And what happens is in all types of patients, maybe it doesn't last six months, maybe it lasts five. Yeah. Yeah. And then patients were disappointed because they were truly expecting to get a six-month duration. And when you think about how Botox or Dysport works, when you hit the three or four-month mark, it's not as strong as it was the first month. Um, So I think by extension, it's probably unfair to expect the six-month result. You know, there's probably still something on board, but maybe it's not significant enough to the patient. I agree. And maybe it looks okay-ish at five months, but if you're paying that much money when it first came out and it's supposed to last six months and they can't see you as often, I mean, they're thinking, great, I don't have to see the injector, the plastic surgeons often. That's awesome. It's like, great, you still have to see them. So, yeah, you know, they're disappointed. Yes, I agree. And that's what we don't, none of us, like as physicians, we we want happy patients. We want them to be pleasantly surprised at how, how much longer it worked um, than expected. Yeah. So switching topics to breast implants, um, Motiva implants are probably going to be coming out in early 2024. So if you look at their last clinical submission and like approximately 10 months later, most things get approved by the FDA. And of course, nobody really knows. But we're talking like for probably in the first six months, Q1, Q2 of this year, establishment labs, company that's publicly traded based in Costa Rica. Their main product is Motiva breast implants already in Europe and South America and Asia. They're coming to the U.S. So are you excited? You're holding off? You're um, just thinking about it? I like to keep my finger on the pulse of things and then hear what you think. Oh, so (laughs) for the consumers out there, you know, we have today smooth shell implants. So it's an envelope and it's smooth. And what happens is that it's very good technology. It's very old. It's very known. There are a couple of problems with smooth shell implants. Uh, there's still some tissue reaction. They could rotate. And the way the biophysics is of the envelope, sometimes it's not quite as soft as it could be. Sometimes the there's a, some debate. But They think certain manufacturers have thinner implants that have a higher problem rate, whereas other manufacturers have a thicker implant. They have a lesser problem rate, but it doesn't feel as nice. It doesn't feel as natural. With Motiva, it's very interesting physics because technically it's a smooth implant. But if you look at it, it's like, come on, dude, this is not smooth. This has like some slightly pebbly surface on it. It feels like velvet when you touch it. Technically, though, according to biophysics, that's a smooth textured implant. And because of the way that it works in the human body, there's not much tissue reaction to it. So specifically, there's not much capsule. So this is interesting, right? Because it's a very popular implant outside of the United States. 
Huge. Why, and and why do you think that is? Is it is it surgeon driven or is it the is it patient driven? It's everything. Both? So in terms of pure science, I know some of my friends overseas really love it. They have warned me or told me, look, when you use it, you have to have a smaller pocket, a more precise pocket. You're not going to have as much capsule, which is great for the patient. You're not going to have as much tissue reaction, but you're not it, like if the pocket's normal size or a little too big, the implant may drop. It's just not going to form as much scar tissue around it. So you have to be very precise in terms of the pocket creation as well as closing it. The other thing is that I think they do fantastic marketing. I mean, they even have an Instagram account here and it's extremely um, business to consumer friendly. And it's my friends in Korea, my friends in South America have told me it's the only implant that patients ask for by name. They don't know Allegan. They don't know Mentor. They don't know Cientra. They don't know PIP. They don't know anything. They don't know Seven. They don't know these other big companies. They know Motiva. Well, that that is huge. Had yeah. a little Wi-Fi moment oh. there, um, but I, I was I heard what you said, and that I mean that to have patients ask for anything by name, whether it's a breast implant, whether it's neuromodulator, a filler, that is really significant because I think in most of those cases the patients are coming in for the procedure or the result, but don't necessarily have an opinion on. Uh, the material being used. Yeah. You know, we don't ask for facial tissue paper. We ask for Kleenex. Patients don't ask for neuromodulator. They ask for Botox. And Allegan's done a fantastic job in terms of marketing of making sure everybody asks for Botox because it's yep. their name. Well, Motiva yeah. has done a fantastic job overseas where patients ask for Motiva. They don't ask for breast implants. So, so are you going to be an early adopter? I think so. As soon as it comes out, I am eager to try it because the other thing is that it's a publicly traded company. I mean, so technically they have, a, you know, a lot of money, specifically a lot of reserves. The warranty means something. They are already currently under U.S. at least like accounting regulation because it's publicly traded. So they have also a lot of sales overseas. So this is their final frontier. I know where you're going with that last comment. Are you drawing a comparison? <laughs> Possibly, <laughs> because, you know, Mentor Implants are owned by Johnson & Johnson, the world's largest healthcare company. Allegan Implants Natural are made by Allegan, part of AbbVie. AbbVie is a massive, massive company. Sientra is a tiny company. They have FDA-approved implants. I, their implants are fine. But I just question, you know, how long they're going to be around if they go under or go into receivership or whatever, what's the lifetime or 20-year or 10-year warranty mean in a Sientra implant? I don't know. And I think that's a concern for a lot of people because they have the best they have the best warranty on the market as of right now with 20 years, but it is a concern. What does the 20-year warranty mean if the company is not around in 20 years? And I agree with you. I think most people feel, most surgeons feel like it's a great, product and a great device. Um, and I've done some consulting for them. And so I've seen a number of, of uh, patients across the United States who've had their implants in for 10 years. And the overwhelming majority of them, this is all different surgeons, so kind of controlled in that sense. They're really happy and the, and the patients look great. Um, but it's one reason I don't use Santra in my own practice 
because I I don't know that they're going to have the level of service with them in 5, 10, 20 years. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, and on our, our final topic, I think, I don't know how you feel. I don't know what you're seeing in Texas, but BBL is a trend that's sort of, I wouldn't say dying out, but definitely tapering. And I do think that the, if you're going to do BBL, it's more for buttock sag as opposed to getting the largest buttock hip ratio in the universe. I agree. It is still a popular procedure in Texas, but my patients are not coming in for the very exaggerated, not made in nature, extra hourglass. They are looking to go from a boxy shape to a nice S-shaped silhouette to accentuate their waist and have a beautiful curve to the hips and buttock. So I think it's still a very powerful operation for creating shape. And it's more a, a skinny BBL yes, um, or just a lower volume fat transfer BBL for most of my patients. What do, what do you see in California? I, I totally agree. I mean, it's the same thing here where people care about the shape. People care about rejuvenation. But at least for my patients, they're not asking for the most sort of like pushing the envelope, larger size or anything like that. I really didn't have that many patients before, but I'm basically seeing virtually none now. Yeah, that was that was my experience as well. It was very, very few patients, um, even during the pandemic, that were asking for a really exaggerated shape. And I think we're seeing the power of the Kardashians again with this. You know, they've really, you know, whether it's Ozempic or um, diet and exercise, um, they've really like slimmed down the curves. The curves are present. But they're not as accentuated Correct. as they used to be. Yeah. So, well, I don't know about the Kardashians, but, you know, I'm sure you will be starting some trends soon, hopefully. And we'll see if the social media influencers, other celebrities will also continue with various facial trends and body trends. Yes. And I love that I think for 2024 again, I think we are maintaining a trend towards shapes, faces, and bodies. Ultimately, that could be found in nature. And to not have things be so obvious, we want very subtle plastic surgery, subtle non-surgical work, um, in, ensuring the health of our skin and tissues, uh, and just overall keeping the aesthetic very natural. I agree. Well, as always, it's so great talking to you and catching up and we will see in 2025 what our predictions and trends show like you know what we predicted or what we said will they actually come true i don't know we'll be doing a recap video then too <laughs> see if we had our, our crystal ball was well tuned in well thanks so much for talking to me dr hamilton and thanks for another episode of the beauty scientists to all of our viewers out there thanks so much for watching and or listening out there and as always, you know what our tagline is. Remind me again. It's so good. <laughs> Stay beautiful. Stay beautiful. We'll catch you next time. Take care.
Thank you for joining us on The Beauty Scientist. Be sure to visit thebeautyscientist.com and learn more about modern beauty and connect with Dr. Hamilton and Dr. Kim.